today on Ag News Daily. Some 69, 70 million bushels lower than what traders were expecting and 90 million bushels below what we had seen in the September um, USDA, the, the supply and demand numbers. So that'll automatically carry over and be taken off from old crop carry out on the corn side of things. October 2nd, first episode of October. Thanks for joining us. Tanner Delaney here. Hit you some headlines before Delaney has a Market Monday conversation. Delaney, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go, but I have to apologize to our listeners. If they hear any sort of loud noises in the background, like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're getting new windows, a new roof, and new siding from the hailstorm that happened here in central Iowa back in May. So I'm trying to keep my sanity while all this is going on, Tanner. Hey, there you go. Well, I tell you what, we've got still more dry weather for parts of eastern Nebraska and Iowa today, but we may see chances of thunderstorms tomorrow. Conditions will be primed this afternoon for wildfires with the strong winds gusting up to 35 miles per hour. Out here in the field today, I'd certainly blow in dust around, and I think we could use a couple of tenths of an inch of rain to knock it down. A line of storms are expected to move into eastern Nebraska tomorrow afternoon but they may bring strong winds and brief heavy rainfall. There's also rainfall expected for Oklahoma tomorrow afternoon into the evening. Oklahoma could see as much as two inches of rain in some spots. The threat for few strong and severe storms will remain mostly limited. Otherwise, after this front moves through, you can expect cooler and drier weather for the most of the region throughout the rest of the week into the weekend. I'm certainly going to see some cooling temperatures for sure. So that'll be nice, Tanner, because I don't know about you, but I'm ready for fall season. I'm tired of this really hot weather that we've been having. Uh, But according to some of the weather data, this is the second or third hottest week we've had. This is the hottest last week of September that we've had in the last 30 years, Tanner. So this week, the start of the week is going to feel hot, but then we're going to transition into some cooler and maybe wetter conditions. So I'm ready for it. Yeah, we broke some records and uh, those usually aren't the records you like to break. No, certainly not. But we also broke a record for getting a, a landslide last minute Congress funding bill passed here as we saw on Saturday that a shutdown was very nearly averted. The bill was passed, the short-term funding was passed very last minute, Tanner, and it supplies now just 45 days of extension until November 17th for Congress to vote on a longer-term funding bill. The vote happened just hours before the government was set to shut down and, of course, does include funding for the USDA, which will impact the WIC program, or rather won't impact the WIC program, but will keep it funded, as well as FSA offices, which of course could have impacted a lot of our listeners here as well. But as of this weekend, the Farm Bill is officially uh, is officially past its deadline, Tanner, and therefore we currently are operating on no fun, no Farm Bill, so to speak. However, most of the programs that are funded through the Farm Bill will run until at least the end of this year. And hopefully by the end of this year, we see some sort of short-term Farm Bill passed or the Farm Bill itself will be passed. But as far as funding goes, each chamber of Congress has 12 bills to pass to get the government fully funded. I did not realize it was that many intricate pieces that pulled together here. 
Yeah, I didn't necessarily either. That's uh, still a long ways from being done. <clears throat> we also saw Navigator CO2 is suspending its pipeline permit process in Iowa until they get utility regulators in Illinois to approve their project. This is according to a motion that was filed last week. The company still wants to build a carbon dioxide pipeline that would transport the captured CO2 from ethanol plants and other facilities and sequester it in Illinois underground. About 810 miles was initially proposed. The South Dakota Public Utilities Commission denied Navigator's permit to construct the pipeline, which we reported on a couple of weeks ago, and indicated that it is not to be negotiating new land easements as far as that is concerned. Since then, the company has indicated that it's not negotiating any new land easements in the state of Iowa either. Navigator filed their motion to the Iowa Utilities Board on Friday to cancel the scheduling conference that was originally set for October 9th and withdraw its motion to establish a procedural schedule and pause its permitting proceedings. Not cancel, Delaney, just pause. Navigator is currently reviewing its Iowa route and the technical specifications in light of the decisions from regulatory authorities. Navigator is prepared to be conscious of time and resources of all parties, so they want to make sure they get Illinois on board first. Illinois regulators are expected to make their final decision at the end of February next year. So this Friday motion is a substantial shift from the company's plans two months ago, where it had a finalized schedule to have this last evidentiary hearing. So we'll continue to keep an eye and report on that more as it comes. Yeah, I was a little surprised by this. I didn't really understand why they decided to pause this. Did you? I think there's some headwinds like we've been reporting on, and it's not necessarily cart before the horse. But certainly, if you can't sequester it in Illinois, that's a major piece of the puzzle. So I would assume if they're able to get the regulatory blessings that they need in Illinois, they will fire back up the rest of the process. Researchers at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln have finalized what seemed impossible to complete, but that is finalizing the complete sequencing of the entire corn genome, Tanner. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln scientist James Schnabel and international colleagues have created the first complete map of the corn genome, which is a historic achievement here, as they're saying that's going to lead to better long-term advancements in crop health, resilience, and also productivity, as now they're going to be able to figure out, you know, what traits, what varieties, what, you know, uh, herbicides, etc., will work well now that we have the genome fully identified. This project started, I believe, back in 2009. And in all, there were more than 100,000 gaps in the genetic sequence that remained to be filled. And so now they have, as of this announcement, pulled together the latest technology and have been able to sequence 10 chromosomes for corn. Wow. That's a big step, and I can't believe how long that took. I was hoping you'd tell us when it began, so thanks for doing that. We also had a big announcement today. Agco and Trimble will form a new joint venture, giving Agco the exclusive rights to distributing Trimble portfolio of ag products. This was a $2 billion deal. This includes Agco acquiring 85% interest in Trimble's ag assets and technologies. This creates the largest ag tech deal ever made. Chairman and President Eric Stated here, it's one of the most transformational events in technology solutions for farmers. The shares 
for Agco and Trimble will create a parallel focus on the mixed fleet of Agco products to the market. This is a milestone putting farmers, technology, and strategy at the forefront. Company leaders highlight how the joint venture will enable nearly 10,000 different models and almost any OEM Trimble product to fit seamlessly. This includes displays, steering, motors, application control, and software. Specifically, their focuses will be growth in autonomy, precision splaying, farm data management, and sustainability. Trimble is best known for their fleet of retrofit branded markets, especially in combining, as uh, they continue to push forward with their industry leader of precision planting. This positions Agco to turbocharge their growth of the critical business. So we'll see how soon we get to see products rolled out with the Agco brand on them. But this now creates the ability to sell in over 70 countries with 2,400 independent distribution points. And that is expected to grow too as this merger and acquisition happens. The company plans to reach the $2 billion EBITDA in total precision ag business in the next five years. So reference, Trimble will receive 170 billion, oh, 170 million per year to make sure that this gets covered. So that is quite a large deal over the next five years. It absolutely is, Tanner. And we also got word today, Corteva released the expansion of their fungicide portfolio and now have launched the Viatude fungicide, which is a new solution for soybean farmers in the Northern United States to help protect against white mold disease as it is one of the most significant crop diseases in the Northern part of the United States and has an estimated yield loss of two to five bushels per acre. The Viatude fungicide provides complete plant coverage with some rapid absorption and translocation technology. And it basically looks at four movement properties found in Viatude fungicide to quickly surround, penetrate, and protect the soybean leaves and stems. So that is certainly exciting there for another product in the farmer's toolbox and will be available in 2024 for the commercial growing season. That's right. That's good to hear. Sounds like a lot being released here on Monday. The only thing I've got left in my headline stack for today is Russia and Ukraine. Continuing to see Ukraine destroy Russian drones. Last Thursday, there was a massive attack where Ukraine destroyed more than 30 drones. Over the weekend, they're claiming another 30 have been destroyed. Continuing to see gaining ground on from Kiev on its counteroffensive. The Ukrainian capital is continuing to put out their press releases. Everything still appears well, Delaney, with the Black Sea Fleet commander. Another video has come out, even though he was claimed dead in a strike on Crimea. So we'll continue to watch that story to see if there's any releases. So far, no other releases coming from the Ukrainian government on that issue. Lastly, Moscow announced it's going to increase its military spending by almost 70 percent in 2024, with Russia's finance minister calling it a significant strain on our budget, but this is certainly our priority. So it almost looks like they're trying to make a last push in 2024 as they continue to ramp up their supply. But that is what I have for headlines today. Well, I think the only thing I have left here to chat about is markets before we get to our Market Monday discussion with Angie Setzer Tanner. And as we look at markets, we certainly saw an interesting trading day after last Friday's quarterly 
Grain Stocks Report. Corn today up big moves on the board, 12 cents higher, closing out at 4.88 and three quarters. New crop soybeans added two pennies today, ending the day at 12.77. Chicago wheat had big moves to the upside, which we'll discuss here with Angie. Sets are coming up in just a moment, up 23 and a quarter cent to close the day at 5.64 and three quarters. Hard red December winter wheat added 13 pennies to close at 6.76 and three quarters. And December spring wheat added nine and a half cents to close at 7.18 and three quarters. Livestock, livestock today also had pretty positive gains on the day as the as the December live cattle contract added 42 and a half cents at a buck 88.35. November feeder cattle added 80 cents to close at 255.70. And December lean hogs shed $2.27.5 to close at 69.50. Tana, let's turn it over to my Market Monday conversation with Angie Setzer. Well, folks, we are joined today by Goddess of Grain, Angie Stetzer, to chat markets today of Consus ROI. Angie, how you doing? I am doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. And harvest is certainly in full swing here in the state of Iowa, but I know we were chatting offline here just before we started recording and things are just starting to get started where you're at there up in Michigan. Yeah, we're just getting underway this week, and there'll be a lot of people, if they're listening from Michigan, they'll say she's lying to you, because uh, there's going to be a lot of folks that that aren't. But yeah, it's going to be a fight here over uh, which starts first, I think, for a lot of people, uh, soybeans or corn. Well, I'm going to be curious, too, especially to start seeing some yield reports coming out of your neck of the woods, because they've certainly been been mixed here in our area. And we saw on Friday, of course, the grains uh, reacted to interestingly to the quarterly grain stock and small grains summary report. So break it down for us. what that report yeah. say? And why did we see it trade the way it did? Yeah. So we, I mean, it, it, in all honesty, the core numbers on the report on Friday could have been, you know, at first glance considered supportive or at least positive to price. They came in, you know, some 69, 70 million bushels lower than what traders were expecting and 90 million bushels below what we had seen in the September um, USDA, the, the supply and demand numbers. So that'll automatically carry over and be taken off from old crop carry out on the corn side of things and, and lower that beginning stocks number. So when we start um, with this month's crop, um, the supply and demand estimate that we get, the corn number, uh, you know, is automatically going to be lower. Um, and and then we'll kind of factor in what the, the NAS numbers come up with from a, a production estimate standpoint. And then of course, what the um, World Ag Outlook Board puts together from a demand standpoint. And so from a corn, for corn, it was pretty positive. Um, but for wheat, you know, the, the overall quarterly stocks numbers didn't come in too far off from what traders were anticipating, but we did see some production adjustments that had caught some folks off guard. Um, but on top of that, the lead on Friday, you know, and, and uh, was more caught up in a, a fund positioning and some worries over what was going on in the cash market. And then just that all, you know, kind of uh, snowballed into to the close that we saw. Soybean side of things was a little bit surprising. You know, a lot of folks were expecting a bit of a cut in uh, quarterly stocks numbers um, from last month's supply and demand number. And the USDA actually came in and, and increased it. So they did make some tiny adjustments to last year's production that really didn't mean much of anything overall, made some adjustments to residual usage and basically came in with a carryout that was about uh, 26 million bushels or so higher than what traders had anticipated uh, ahead of time. So uh, it came in, you know, you saw folks sell off on beans, you saw folks sell off on wheat, 
Uh, you saw corn get kind of caught up in it. And then, like I said, I think a little bit of month end, quarter end positioning um, and some of these spreads that we're seeing, you know, with energies and things of that nature just really made Friday's trade you know, absolutely horrendous on, on the whole. Uh, and corn, you know, obviously didn't really believe it and uh, recovered all of that back today. So Angie, while, was, while we're still on the topic here of reports, where do you think we see today's harvest progress numbers come in? Well, I think most traders are expecting them, I think right around 15%. I, I don't really get too caught up in, in kind of guessing percentage wise. I, I think we'll probably be in line with where we should be one of the things I always like to tell is you know if we're well advanced versus what traders were expected or or well behind um you know and typically if you're well advanced if, if you're quick to blow through harvest or if you know if if the the percentage of progress ends up ticking by a lot quicker then that tends to be a sign of of poorer yields you know whereas the opposite is true but beyond that I think we're just early enough into harvest that you know, I think most traders are expecting what 15% or so and I don't see why we'd be too far off Angie, when we look at today's markets, corn certainly saw a lot of strength on the board today. What's pushing things higher here? I, you know, me personally, a lot of folks are going to say it has something to do with crop insurance. And, and maybe that's more of the a speculators kind of front running an idea of seeing a, a rally. I think with it being a new quarter and a new month, you know, looking at what we're seeing in the energy side of things, like we talked about there on Friday, you know, there's been a lot of conversation that traders had been buying energies and selling grains. Um, and I think you could see that. I mean, we rallied in a big way in, in crude oil. Um, and a lot of folks had said at the start of last week that we were going to be touching, you know, 100 bucks a barrel. Uh, and we came close. We we came within shouting distance of, of it there to, to finish up the quarter um, or to work our way through last week. Today we're down, you know, you're looking at uh, WTI crudes down well over a buck a barrel in, in some spots. You know, on the front end, you're you're seeing it down a couple bucks. And, and so to me, you know, the one thing that I struggle with with folks saying that it's a crop insurance thing is you've got wheat up big today. Chicago wheat's up 23 cents or so. Um, and so to me, I think, you know, there's just some ideas that we're going to see um, some interesting developments further on. The, the Russian-Ukraine situation there is still very tenuous. We have no idea what happens at any given day. You know, the fund positioning is, has gotten way over skewed to one side. You're looking at corn funds, the shortest they've been since August of 2020. You know, so those types of things really kind of put a floor underneath underneath us and give us this sort of opportunity to see what happens next. You know, in, in new month, new quarter, you know, you get some new buying. Maybe we are seeing some unwinding of these folks. Maybe they're selling some energy ownership and buying grains. And, and so whatever it takes to get us a little bit of a bounce. But from an overall standpoint, the, the trends, your friend, we're still very much range bound, especially in corn. You know, we're right on that top end of that range, you know, here at that 490 level. And if we make a run for five, then then awesome. But, you know, we're probably going to start to run into some farmer selling if we get much beyond that. Angie, you mentioned we're kind of at the top end there of that range bound for corn. Are we going to be able to break through it? And if so, what would be an event that would potentially cause us to go above that? Because as we know, the terrain really seems like it's slowed down pretty substantially compared to the couple of years we've had prior to this. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest event that we would have right now would be some sort of yield surprise come from the USDA here in another 10 days or so. We got that continuing resolution. So we are going to see, um, you know, we are going to see the government come up with their their production numbers in August. And so they are going to start, you know, with more in the way of, 
of, of weighing uh, ears and, and weighing pods and, and some of these other things. And so in some of these areas where we had that really, really poor finish or in some of these areas where we've had that extended finish, you know, you could see some, some really sharp changes potentially in, in some of that yield data that the USDA is going to use. I know I did a webinar, you know, a couple of weeks back with Lance and, and Seth from the USDA and, and Lance specifically had said that he was really looking forward to getting his hands on more of that, um, you know, real data uh, for the August number. And so if we do find that, you know, maybe production was uh, reduced more than expected, or perhaps it, it, it was not, um, you know, maybe it's, it's higher than anticipated. I, I have no idea what they're going to find. I think that would be the one thing that could potentially break us out. But from a mo for the most part, you know, really when it comes down to it, it's going to have to be demand driven, you know, whether we're uh, three, four, five, you know, bushels uh, higher or lower, you know, how we end up using, how much we end up using, whether we see export pace, you know, kind of continue or pick up, you know, all these things are going to have a, a, a real huge implication for where we end up with ending stock wise. And so, yeah, we're just going to kind of be stuck here to feel we need to break out, you know, in a big way, one way or the other. Is the story the same for soybeans? Are we range bound there as well? We seem to be. I mean, today, um, you know, we did kind of catch the low end of the range. At least it looks like we found some support. We closed 12 cents off the, the low of the board today on the November side of things. And so really from an overall standpoint, um, you know, if you look at it, we have kind of traded in this sort of 1275 um, to 1350. I mean, we have broke out above that 1350 range towards 14, 14 and a quarter, a couple different times here or there. Um, but it's not a, a, a long term sort of thing. And so I do feel that soybeans, you know, have the potential to be violently range bound. But I do think that, you know, with the start of the South American season looking halfway okay, uh, it looks like rains are going to pick up for the, the most part across much of Brazil um, and, you know, hopefully start to to pick up across parts of Argentina or, or where we need them to in Argentina there. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, we're going to be watching if any sort of weather problem develops or if China comes back, they're on vacation this week, you know, they're on holiday. If they come back and decide they need to, to buy in a big way or something like that, it's probably going to speed up that range bound process but but yeah is soybeans and corn both we're just kind of going to be treading water until we figure out what exactly it is that we have and and get a better feel for how demand works to play out as we work into the new year now when we look at wheat i feel like they've just kind of been slowly humming along in the background haven't been paying quite as much attention to them until today when we see these big double digit gains here in the chicago futures what was driving markets higher? Is it still just a reaction after last week's report? Yeah, I think uh, you know to to get a, a bounce back to to see that sell off and and then you know a recovery there. I think we overdid it big time. You know, like I said, I think a lot of folks just basically kind of put their like into the vehicle at the end of the week last week. Wheat lost what sixty cents, I think, total or something like that. <laughs> like most of it came on the last day. Um, or maybe it lost 40 cents, but yeah, it's just one of those things that um, wheat is, is going to struggle for a while. And, and it's one of the things that gives me the biggest pause about corn. Um, global wheat prices, you know, we're, we're watching what's going on with Russia and what they're offering into the world market. And so for such a long time, we had seen this sort of floor underneath those cash wheat prices. And so to see them kind of pull that floor out from underneath them, you know, first we saw Romania and Bulgaria sell into 
um, the GAFC tender below that Russian floor. And then we saw Russia offer it below the floor. And then Ukraine came in with some pretty stout wheat offers. I mean, those are the things that we're paying attention to. But from an overall standpoint, I think the funds had just piled on way too big, um, you know, onto wheat. And just basically after a while, you run out of sellers and they turn into buyers. And and so here we are today. Angie, you mentioned uh, crude oil earlier in the in the conversation, but are there any other markets like that you're paying extra close attention to here as of late? I've been watching. I mean, obviously something's been going on. You know, you saw something really interesting happen today and I will read about it later and I'm sure or, or we'll get filled in about it later, but you, we have to watch what's going on in soybean oil and, you know, kind of what's been taking place in soybean meal. Um, you know, soybean oil's got some interesting developments happening there, you know, not only influence from an energy standpoint, but also from what we're doing with biofuels. Um, and then in addition, you know, what this sort of transition towards using vegetable oil pretty heavily for biofuels means um, for food producers. Uh, and so that's kind of one of the things that I'll be watching. I'm also kind of paying attention to, to what's taking place in the RINs market. You know, there's been a big conversation here as of late, you know, that we could be seeing some potential changes, um, you know, to maybe some government biofuels with the the collapse in some rent prices there that we've seen over the last couple, three weeks. Um, and so there's just a few things to be paying attention to. I also like to watch the freight market. Um, you know, if you start to see a pretty significant uptick in, in uh, ocean freight, that can tend to mean that there's some commodity business happening. So there's a, a few things that I like to, to watch, you know, just kind of out of the corner of my eye. And all of them seem to, to have an influence in some way, shape or form with price, um, you know, on any given day. Fantastic. Well, Angie, thanks again for joining us today, folks. You can find her at Goddess of Grain on Twitter. Angie, is there any other good ways for folks to connect with you or is Twitter the best place? Twitter is the best place. You can find me on TikTok as well at Goddess of Grain, or you can shoot me an email at Angie at ConsusROI.com. Fantastic, Angie. Well, thanks again for joining today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, thanks, Delaney, for having that conversation. It's always good to get Angie's insights. Listeners, thanks for joining us on this Market Monday. We'll be back every day this week bringing you no more great interviews and all the headlines that affect you and agriculture. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.